All right, let's learn. The second side uh, sheets are being uh, handed out as we, uh, as we go. Okay, so what I'd like to learn with you are a number of uh, comments from the Rambam, the great Maimonides. All right, Maimonides wrote a massive work on halacha, which he called the Yad HaChazakah. And he has a section on the laws of tshuva, the laws of repentance. So what we will be studying, are, we're not going to get through all of it. There's a lot on your sheet. We're going to get through a couple of different comments of his. On Maimonides, the Rambam's Hilchos Tshuva. What does it take? What does it look like? To fulfill this, that we are in the middle of the 10 days of repentance, yes, there's made tshuva. Well, what does that require? What are some of the ideas? And so within his words, we will come across, in my mind at least, some very beautiful ideas, uh, hopefully that we can take home with us, uh, and, and really engage the time period that we are in. It is a special time on the Jewish calendar in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, um, so let us do it. As an introduction, if I were to ask you the following question, give me a word... We could be, I have a number of them. What would describe the repentance process, the tshuva process, a Jew going through these 10 days, going through Yom Kippur? What word would you use to describe the dynamic of what is taking place between the Jew and between the Creator? What, you could throw out a number of suggestions. What word would you use to describe that dynamic? Forgiveness. Forgiveness, repentance, catharsis. catharsis. Give me a relationship words that you would use to describe between the Jew, the human being, and his creator. What words of relationship would you use to describe? Closeness. Closeness, very good. Forgiveness. Uh, admission, right? An acknowledgement. Good, very good. Anything else? Being yacha, being together. Excellent. I'm not surprised... All of those are very good words. I'm not surprised that nobody mentioned the word that the Rambam uses, which is a surprising word. And I wouldn't have thought to use it, which is why when he does, it's worth taking note. So I want to read this first halacha together with you on your sheet. I'm going to read it in Hebrew and English. We'll, we'll do partly in Hebrew, partly in English. But you have both in front of you. And you will see the word that he uses twice, which, not surprisingly, nobody here particularly Use. I would have used closeness, return, relationship, right? Repent all the words that we, we had out here. Says the Ramaswal, Ezui Chuva Gemur. So he starts with a question. This is actually the second chapter. He opens, uh, we're, we're skipping for today's purposes, the first chapter. And the Raman wants to know, what is Chuva Gemura? Meaning, not just a low level of repentance. The Raman wants to know, what is the highest of the high, complete? level of tshuva that you cannot get higher, better, more complete than this. It says the Rambam says, where a person comes into contact with the same sin that he had come into contact before and failed with. Uparash. And now the second go around, whereas the first time the Jew fails at the task, and now he's put in the exact same position that he was in before, and this time refrains from the behavior. And the only reason why he refrains the second time versus what happened on the first time is because of the tshuva process. The Rambam is going to discuss an example of an illicit sexual relationship. We can use an example of a classic cheeseburger. A person walks past the McDonald's on his way to work, and has a uh, desire for a cheeseburger. That's the desire that the person has. Okay, so he has a cheeseburger. And then he wants to do tshuva. 
So he has to repent. So he has to go through the whole process of the first, we're going to go through a little bit later in the afternoons, but the, all the different steps. But what's the highest level of tshuva that this Jew will be able to attain? Says the Rambam, being placed in this, walking past that store, hungry, in the same way that he did before. Excellent. So that's full tshuva, as opposed to like avoiding the store, which is a good thing. Uh, you should do that. Don't put yourself in, in the place of a test. But to actually achieve that highest level, it has to be where you were in it again and didn't do it. Let's see the way the Rambam describes it again. He has got a different example, but it's really the same idea. Why does he refrain? Lo miyira, not because he's afraid. That's not why he's refraining. Lo mikishlon koach, not because he's weak. Years have gone by. No, the reason why he's not doing the same action is because of the tshuva process. He gives an example. Shebal Ishabaver, man had an illicit relationship with a woman. And then after time, Nisyachim, he finds himself alone with her again, and he's in the same level of Ava, he has the same desire for her. Uvikoach Gufo, he has the same physical strength. Uve Medin is in the same place that he was last time. Uparash, Velo Avar, Zebal Tshuva Gemura. Okay, that's the Ramam's idea, very beautiful idea. That anything less than that is tshuva, for sure. But until you're in the same environment, with the same level of love, not because you've aged out of interest, not because you're in a different place, you have to be in it, and then that's tshuva gemur. Okay, so far so good. This is all setting up our next line. Says the Rambam, and what is this a reflection of? That which Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, said in his statement in Ecclesiastes, Zachor es borecha bimei bechurosecha. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Meaning, don't wait until you get old and then you do tshuva. That's nice. But that's not the highest level that you can't do things that you used to do anymore. So now you, okay, I can't do it anyway. So I might as well do tshuva. No, 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 no. While you're still young, remember your creator. Now, let's, let's finish it up. We'll go back. So let's say a person does repentance, he does tshuva when he's older. He's no longer capable of doing that which he had violated prior. So even though, says the Ramam, that it's not the highest level of tshuva, it certainly works, and he's about tshuva. That counts. A person did something, he's never going to be in that position again. Which, we, I, I don't want to ever be in that. Okay, great. So that, it's tshuva. But there's still something that's a, even a higher to be in that situation. Then the Rambam adds, and even if a person lives his entire life, and he does tshuva on the day of his death, on his deathbed. So forget about being in the same position. He's literally on his deathbed, and at that moment, he has the moment of inspiration. Does that work? Yes, it does. Kol avonosov nimchal, and all of his sins are forgiven. Even though, again, he has certainly not achieved this highest level, but that works. It works. Even on the last moment of life. That's the language we're going to say in the Machzor. Hashem Hashem is waiting till the very last moment. Come home. And he quotes another Pasuk for that as well. That even on the last moment, Shuyom Misa, very last line in the, in the Rambam in the box on source number one. Michlal, what do we see? She'im Zachar Bor'o, if he remembers his creator. Vishav kodem shiyamus, and he repents before he dies. Nislachlo, he is forgiven. What's the word the Rambam uses twice to describe the tshuva process? Anybody notice it? Remember, 
Remember, remember his creator. The Rambam says it twice in the very last line in the box. Right? We can infer that if one is Zachar Boro, he remembers his creator. What was the Pesach that he quoted from Shlomo Amalek in Ecclesiastes? You see that at the end of the second, first paragraph. Zachor es Borecha. He remembers his creator. That's an interesting description. What's the tshuva process in the Rambam's setting it up? When we do things wrong, how would he define that? That's called forgetting our creator. What's the tshuva process predicated on? Remember. Remembering. It's such a fascinating um, way of looking at it that a Jew remembers will be okay. The problem is we forget. The problem is we get distracted by life around us. We get distracted from seeing clearly Hashem's presence in our lives. So we do whatever it is that we do. And everybody has their own their own things. I, I always like to mention this. You'll hear this from me throughout this, uh, these 10 days. You know, you, we're going to go through all the alchets on, uh, on, on Yom Kippur, right? There are a lot of them. There are 44 of them. Alchet, alchet, alchet. And we do it 10 times. Alchet, alchet, ashramnu. But 44 besides for that. Ashramnu, baganu. So most people, as you're going through them, you're like, nah, I'm good, 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 I'm good. Ooh. There's always going to be that one or two that's like, that speak. And it, it's different for each person. Every person's got their own stuff. But most of them are like, yeah, it's no problem. I'll, I'll, I'll say this all day long. It doesn't bother me because I didn't do any of this. <laughs> but then there's, there's always one or two or three or four that are like, that, that hit you. So, 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 and it's almost the same for every year, by the way. We are habits of creature. We are creatures of habit is the way to say that, right? <laughs> creatures of habit. And the things that we like struggle with, they just, it's amazing from year to year to year. It's the same, the same ones. But in any case, in any case, says the Rambam, Zachor, it's an amazing just conceptualization of the process to remember. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Even if you remember your creator in the last day of life, you are forgiven. This is rooted, by the way, the same idea comes, Arashi describes the same, uh, same concept. If you remember the story of Yehuda and Tamar, Yehuda, the son of Yaakov, he had two sons, were both married to Tamar, each one died because of their own sins, and so as, uh, as is the way, this, so she, he, she was expecting then to marry after she married the first and he died, so then she married the younger brother, he then died. What did she think was going to happen next? She was going to marry the third son. But Yehuda was like, no deal, All right, I lost two sons, something's going on, I'm not interested. So uh, she, he sends her home, and uh, he says, he's too young, my third son. That's the, the reason why he gives her. Meanwhile, years go by, the third son grows up, and Tamar sees she's not being given him as, uh, as a wife. So she dresses, you know, from others, this is a story that skipped over in elementary school, right? She dresses herself up as a... So I want to make sure that you caught it later, because I know you weren't taught in elementary school, so you may have missed it, because they skip it over. So she dresses up as a harlot on the side of the road, and she consorts with Yehuda, who's not married at the time, even though if he would have been okay also, because he lots of multiple wives. In any case, he doesn't know who she is. She becomes pregnant, and when she begins showing three months later, everybody says, hey, she's, not, she's supposed to be waiting for the third son. She's not allowed to be married to anybody else. Something's going on. He decrees upon her that she should be taken out to be killed, and she sends to him all of the items that she had taken from him uh, originally at their original meeting. And she says to him, Hakerna, recognize, do you recognize these items? Basically putting the onus on him to say, wait a minute, that's, that's me. To admit it. 
Rashi makes an amazing comment on the words haker na. Na is, please, please recognize who this is. And so Rashi says that we all, haker, Rashi says, haker es borecha. The word haker, recognize, and the simple meaning of the context is recognize these items. Rashi adds into what her words were saying are, recognize your creator and step up and not cause the loss of all of these lives that are not going to be lost. Me and, and the babies, she's carrying twins, that should all be lost if, if you don't. Hakerna, recognize your creator. Same language that the Rambam uses as, what's the tshuva process? R- remember, recognize your creator. Like, that's all we need to do. It's, like a, it's, it's an expression of the natural expression of a Jew who's remembering, who's recognizing, is to do the right thing. Why don't we always do the right thing? Because we put blinders on. We don't want to remember. We don't want to see because I want to do whatever it is that I want to do. The tshuva process is conceptualized as just remember. Which is why, one last point, we're going to go on. One last point. If you were to have to choose, which day on the Jewish calendar should come first? Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur? Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment. And Yom Kippur is a day of forgiveness and atonement. Would you prefer to be judged with all of your sins and given a decree and then have your sins forgiven? Or would you prefer, logically, to have your slate wiped clean and then be judged fresh and clean? Which, one, which order would you have done? We, we would have put Yom Kippur first, tshuva, wipe the slate clean, and then I'll stand in judgment. We have an opposite. We have a, the Yom Adin, the day of judgment of Rosh Hashanah, and then 10 days later is Yom Kippur. So one of the beautiful, this is, this is not just like a vort, this is the essence of what we're doing. What is the essence of Yom Kippur? How do you do tshuva without the main step, which is zachor es borecha, to remember your, that's, that's what we're doing, right? That's the first step. I need to know where I'm going. Oh, yes, exactly. I, I was once, once I, let me finish this thought. Anyway, I was once driving to, I happened to have been to a funeral, so I, I don't yet know, like, if you just tell me where a place is, how to get there. I don't remember. I, like, I'm totally dependent on ways when I'm going from Shul to anywhere that's outside of this local area. So I'm driving along. It's whatever. I don't even remember which place it is. It's 20, 25 minutes away. And about halfway there, so I'm, like, out of my comfort zone of what I know, my phone loses connection with ways. You know, it's just like it just loses the network. So I'm like, I'm driving on the highway. I'm like, I have no idea where to go. I don't know anything. I, I, don't, I, don't, know, I don't know where I'm supposed to get off. I don't you know, I, I just, I didn't memorize the direction. I'm just following ways and ways blanks. Right? It happens. I'm like, just, now what? Right? So you just got to pull off and reset and hopefully... But like that idea of like, well, if you don't have a map of where you're going, you don't have your final destination, you can't get to wherever you're going if you don't know where you're going. It's pretty obvious. So Rosh Hashanah is, what I, I, I pulled over and I reset and I got, uh, I got there on time too, by the way. That's why you always leave early. So um, Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah is the day of Malchus, of Hashem's king, kingship. We say all, the whole two days of Rosh Hashanah, Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, all we're doing is describing, you are the king, you are the king. All we're doing is we're setting the GPS of where I want to go. Oh, now after Rosh Hashanah, 
Now that I have the day of Imuna, of clarity, of purpose, Hashem Yimloch, Leolam Va'ed, now I can do my next eight days of work to get to Yom Kippur. I can't have a Yom Kippur before the clarity of what Rosh Hashanah is. Rosh Hashanah is Zachoras Borecha. Remember your Creator. Now that we've done that, now we shift into, okay, now what happens after you remember your Creator? Now we got work to do. Now... Now, uh, now comes the work. Okay, move it. Did I, did I, there was a question. Did I get answered? Okay. Halacha base. Number, source number two. I'll, I'll, I'll introduce this with a question as well. Part of the tshuva process, as you know, is regret and then uh, actions. We need to like stop doing certain things. I mean, you need to, there's part of it is, is what we call charata, regretting it. If you were to choose the order, what should come first? Should a person regret, let's go to our cheeseburger example again. Should a person first regret the action and then put into place all the things to stop doing whatever it is that he's doing? Or do you stop doing the action, remove it from your repertoire of behavior, and then work through regret? Where would you put regret in the order of the process of tshuva? First, right? You're like, you ha- you, you, so listen to a Rambam, who again says against what you would normally have said. Says the Rambam in Allah Umahi Achuva. So now what's the process? I know the Chuva Gemura is being in the same situation and refraining. But what are the steps? What do I go through? Says the Rambam. Number one, Shiyazov Hachotei Chato. Number one, you have to abandon the sin. You have to stop doing it. That's obvious, right? The first thing is you got to stop doing the behavior. So we use our cheeseburger. You got to stop eating cheeseburgers. If you want to do Chuva, so the, you can't keep eating a cheeseburger and say, I'm doing chuva. The first thing is, you got to stop eating them. Okay, good. Then, the asiru mimachashavto. You have to remove it from your thoughts. Meaning, okay, so step one is I'm not eating it. But you know there could be such a person who's not eating it and the whole day is thinking about a cheeseburger. The whole day is thinking about it. Okay, so step one is I don't do it. Not only do I not do it, then I remove it from my thoughts. And number three, then you commit in your heart, I'm never doing it again. So remove the action, take it out of your thought process where you're thinking about it. This is just, I know this is not, I don't know how much of a sports crowd this is, but you know, sometimes the big sports game this time of year fall out on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, like playoff baseball game, big football, it happened. So you can have a guy who's like, I'm not, I'm not going to watch it for sure. They're clear, I won't do it. But the whole day is thinking about what went on during the game. So like, it's true they didn't watch it, but like literally their mind was in it the whole day. So step one, says Ramaz, don't do it. Number two is stop thinking about it. Number three is you commit, I'm never going to think about it again, even in the future. Those are your three steps. The tshuva, very nice. Then says the Rambam, v'chein, and also, yisnachem, al she'ovar. You have to regret that which you did. <coughs> where, where does he put the regret? Yeah, he said, he said, stop doing it, remove it from your heart, commit, you're never going to do it again, and you need to regret. So I think, I think what he means is as follows. Um, I'll use an example that doesn't apply to anybody here other than me, but I'll just use it here because you know what I'm talking about. There's, every time you show up on Wednesday, there's a, there's a platter of cookies. 
Every Wednesday, I eat several more cookies than I wanted to in my head. And immediately after finishing them, uh, particularly after usually knocking off a piece of pizza or two, I regret it. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna feel sick the whole day. And I, and I like, honestly, I regret it. Like, I can't believe, I, I don't wanna do it again. Right, a total regret. Guess what happens next Wednesday? Same thing, but I regretted it last week. You know, you know the phrase, eating your words? So I, on, on one of the Yantiv days, I, I use this example and before Mincha with the guys in Shul. So I changed, instead of that example, I, use the, I have the same example that our good friend Morty Lent brings donuts in every morning. Somebody has a yard site, so they sponsor a tikka and they bring in donuts. Same experience, every, every morning. I eat a donut, as soon as I finish the donut, I'm like, ugh. Like my whole day is ruined from this donut, the worst way to start a day. And then the next morning, there's another tikkun, and I ate another donut. So I joked in shul, on Rosh Hashanah, you know, Morty, we really should have carrots as an option for a in the morning. Well, this morning, somebody who was there had a yard site, and he brought in, in addition to the donuts, uh, carrots. So literally, I had to eat my words. Like, for, like not, just a, not just a phrase. I had to eat a carrot, and I was like yearning for the donut the whole time, eating this carrot. But like, that's what I, you know, like you give an example in shul, you got to live by it. So I, I literally ate my words. Not a there, but I know, but I didn't want to ruin it. In any case, so, what is it, so what's the point of this? Regret alone, what kind of change in behavior does regret give us? Very often, like nothing. And it's true that you have regrets, but without physical, practical behavior change, the next time the situation comes up, you just do it again. I've been eating donuts for 30 years, and every single time I say, like, I feel sick for the next hour. But you know what? It tastes so good. So, like, you deal with it. The regret alone doesn't change a behavior. It makes you feel bad but not in a way that leads to positive change. So the Rambam puts it at the end. You want to change? Change, right? You want to change? Change, drop the action. After you've dropped the action, but you're still thinking about it, drop the thought process. After you've dropped the thought process, now commit to the future. Now that you're in the clear, now that you've distanced yourself in action, in thoughts, and in commitment from whatever it is that you don't want, now feel, now you can feel the regrets. Now you can feel about what I did. Again, I use a silly example of donuts and cookies, but we're talking about where you've hurt someone or you've hurt your relationship with the creator where you need to really feel the regret from that. Now you can really get into it. The regret alone is not going to stand in your corner when the situation arises the next day or the next week. The fact that you felt bad about it, we can all point to hundreds of examples in our lives where we've done something, regretted it, and done it again the very next time the opportunity presents itself. You want to change? Change. Action, deed, thought, and then, and then you can work out some, some of the, uh, the regret. Okay, let's keep moving. Do we give out the second sheet? Yeah. I didn't get one. Any, where, where would I? Okay, source number uh, three. Says the Rambam, this is a halacha dalid. Midarke atshuva, top of uh, page number two. What are the, uh, the, the ways that a person goes through tshuva? Let me, let me start with the story, actually. You're familiar with the guy who was arrested for a major theft. He was caught red-handed, stole 
millions of dollars. He had witnesses. They had video evidence. They had the whole thing. They bring him to court. They they sh- in, in bring up all of the uh, all of the evidence. And uh, the guy's name is uh, we we'll call him Reuven. And right before the sentencing, Reuven gets up and he says, "I have one last thing to say. It wasn't me. It wasn't me." They say, uh, Reuven, we. <laughs> We just went through. We have actual witnesses testifying. We have video evidence. We have a paper trail. We got it all. We know it was you. He says, no, it wasn't me. I changed my name. I'm now Shlomo. <laughs> so it wasn't me. So what would we say to such a person? That's very, that's very cute. I don't care what you call yourself. You're going to jail. Says the Rambam. In the process of tshuva, and source number three, what are the ways of tshuva? Leos hashov tzoek tamid Number one is to, to call out with tears, with cry, with supplication. Number two, oset tzedakah, you have to give tzedakah. Number three, you have to remove yourself from that which you sinned. And then you change your name. And what happens when you change your name? Klomar, he says. Ani acher. I'm another person. I'm not the guy who did that. The guy who did that was Reuven. And I'm Shlomo. So that works? So this is a very important comment, the Raman. The Raman here is basing himself on a Gemara. The Raman didn't make this up. The Gemara says there are a couple of elements of tshuva, which the Raman here lists. You know, the, the tsa'aka, the, the tefillah, the calling out, distancing yourself from the actions. Again, in the context of this whole chapter that we've been learning, there are a lot of things that go on. We just learned about changing your action, changing your mindset, changing your commitment. And part of that is changing your name, Kilomar, as if to say, I'm a new, I'm a new person. So the commentators point out on the, on the Gemara and on the Rambam, obviously, simply changing your name does not do anything. But it's a very important, it's a very important step in a, in a process of somebody. I, I hope that as we're sitting in this room, the things that we need to do tshuva for are relatively what we would call minor, relatively minor things. Okay, nobody's perfect and we all need to go through Yom Kippur every year without question. But there are circumstances in which there are major in- events which a person goes through in life and they're like almost brand them for life. Well, how does such a person do tshuva? If it's real, bona fide, in, in, heartfelt. So part of it's like, it's as if to say I'm a new person. I'm an, I don't want to be the person that I was. And uh, there's an ability, the tshuva process has the ability to do that. And, and we sometimes, we take for granted what this means, the concept of the days that we're in tshuva. In, in any other context in life, if you would imagine a contractor who was hired right around the corner from me, the house was bought and knocked down. Happens all the time around this neighborhood, right? So a contractor comes to knock down a house. Obviously they come several times, they do their measurements, everything. So it happens to be the house that was knocked down around the corner for me. It's like a funny kind of lot. It's like literally in between, like they squeezed in a house in a strange kind of way in a backyard. So imagine a scenario where a contractor comes and he knocks down the wrong house. Right? He comes and literally the demolition takes like in two hours. They just, the whole thing is gone. The contractor shows up early in the morning and just the whole house is there. Right? So the homeowner comes rushing in. He gets a call. He gets there. 
and the contractor is like just sabrachan. He really, he feels terrible. He's like, I, 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 I can't, I can't believe it. And he goes through the process. He says, I will never do this again. I feel so sorry. I'm filled with such rigor. He goes through every step of, of the tshuva process. Right? And then he says, okay, so we're good? <laughs> right? Like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's very nice that you're going to go through like the regrets and you're going to, you know, say, I, I, I sinned. It was just all my fault. I made a terrible mistake. But at the end of the day, the house is gone. So it's a joke to think that with whatever process you go through, that you're, you're just going to make it as if it's okay. Even if you would reimburse, but like, my house is gone. It's gone. It doesn't work that way. And in the spiritual world, there's a, it's, a, it's a chiddish, it's a novel concept that we can erase a past. We can erase a, a blemish in a dynamic, in a relationship that we have with Hashem and the tshuva process, the, the feeling that we have at the end of Ni'ilah, at the end of Yom Kippur, is this magnificent spiritual concept of, of newness, of freshness, of a recreating. So the Ramam says, make it real. When a person changes his name, and again, I assume none of us here have, have done that. I wouldn't know the difference if this was a fake name of yours or a new name. I just, we're just getting to know everyone. But that, that idea, the concept of I can change my name and create, I'm a new person. I'm not the person who did those things. Now, in as much as probably you haven't known anybody to actually have done this, there is one area where this idea is actually very, very relevant. Okay, I, there, so there are two ideas. One is we do it for a sickness. That's really going to tie into what I was going to say. You'll see how it ties in. The place where this applies all the time is in the concept of tefillah, in the concept of davening. And the way that that works, as many commentators point out, is, um, you know, so it's Rosh Hashanah time. So there's a, right, Rosh Hashanah yi kasevu, what's written, and v'yom tzom kippur yei chasevu, and it's sealed. So once something was signed and sealed over Rosh Hashanah yom kippur, and then four months later, you know, something happens to somebody, and so everybody davens. Like, what, why does that work? I thought we had a, a decree. The Gemara asks this question. Like, if, there were, if, if we say what we mean, if we mean what we say on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, so that's the decree. What's the tefillah for? Why does that work? So there are a lot of, this is a big discussion, and I don't want to cover all, just one point of this discussion, which is relevant to what we're talking about, is the process of tefillah, when a Jew davens, is not in the way that we often imagine it, or only in the way that we imagine it, in which there's some headmaster who has some terrible decree and we're begging and pleading to change it. Tefillah is about a relationship. It's about the created calling out to the creator, which is we don't do very well. We, don't, we, we, we struggle with that concept, that recognition of zachor es borecha. And tefillah is a Jew recognizing the reality of the world and saying, you're my father in heaven and I have needs and I want to be thankful and make my requests. But it's a transformative process of a Jew calling out in tefillah. The nature of that transformative process is such to say the decree was on this person. But I'm going to change my behavior through my actions, through my tzedakah that I give, and through my tefillah, so that the person upon whom the decree was is no longer the person standing in front of you. And so this idea that the Rambam describes of tshuva, of change your name, as if to say I'm not the same person, 
which rarely is done in practice, where we change our name for tefillah, for tshuva, but it's, it's, what we, it's every single time we daven when something is going on, and we don't like the decree that we've been handed, and so we daven, so how do you change the decree? Change the decree by saying, I'm not the person that the decree was made on. Look, my actions are totally different. My relationship with you is totally different. I'm not in the same spiritual place. I've moved. And so therefore, this new person, whether we have the same name or not the same name, is not the same person, which is the idea of changing the name for somebody who's sick as well. All of that ties into this idea that the Ramam expresses here um, in regards to, uh, to this concept. We have time for one more. Let me do one, let's do one more concept. What is one of the most uh, ubiquitous, well-practiced ideas I don't, I don't want to call it a minhug, um, but on Erev Yom, Kipp- Yom Kippur, as people run around, what do you often find? Whenever you see anybody on Erev Yom Kippur, what, what's the way the conversation goes? Do you mochel me? you forgive me? Do you mochel me? you forgive me? Hey, mochel, 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 mochel. So why, 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 why do we do that? So besides for the fact that if it's done in such a manner that you happen to have walked past somebody in the bakery on Erev Yom Kippur, and because you happen to have walked past them, you ask them for mechila, it's not a meaningful experience. But like, why do we even go through that process? What's the point of that? So there's a very well-known and important Gemara that the Rambam quotes as well that says as follows, as powerful as Yom Kippur is, as powerful a day of forgiveness and atonement as it is, it only works for sins that were committed between man and God. Yom Kippur will work. But if there's a sin that's still outstanding between man and man, so Yom Kippur's not going to touch that until man and man have made their peace and remedied and rectified whatever it is that's going on with forgiveness, if you owe money, paying up, whatever the case may be. But Yom Kippur will not help until that's done. And therefore... That's where the practice comes up of asking mechila of those who you need. So it's, it's silly to ask just because you happen to walk past somebody. But the people who we actually need to ask mechila from, whether they be people in our immediate close circle, spouses, children, uh, parents, those are the people we really need to ask mechila from over the course of a year because there's no way you go through a year without messing up and in the close family dynamics. People at work, close friends. And then there are those people in the community that things happen over the course. Those are the people you really need to ask. And those are the people you generally don't. You only walk around to the people who you know you have good relationships. That's meaningless. It's the people who you really need a conversation before Yantif to sit down, to make amends. But until you do that, Yom Kippur will not work. So the Rambam mentions this as well. That's in source number four. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you see in uh, the first paragraph that Shuvah and Yom Kippur only atone for sins between man and God. Um, and, uh, but if anything else needs to be uh, addressed, and that's why we ask for Mechila. Okay, who is that requirement upon? The one who did the offending, that it's his mitzvah to ask for Mechila, or is that requirement on the one who was offended? On, on who would we place this requirement? You're thinking like, that's a trick question. That's like an obvious. Like, who's it on? Obviously, the person who did the offending has to go around and ask for mechila. That's true. But the Rambam, that's what the Gemara says. The Gemara says that you have to ask for mechila. Yom Kippur won't help until you ask for mechila. The Rambam adds one of the most, in my mind, one of the most beautiful lines that I wanted to share with you as we conclude this session. Uh, really, it's, it's so moving to me. In source number five, says the Rambam, Aser la Adam lihios achzari. 
It is forbidden for a person to be cruel, to be stubborn, and not grant forgiveness. It is a two-way street, says the Rambam, in a magnificent comment. A person who's offended somebody else has an obligation to ask forgiveness. And again, we're not talking to your friends in the street. You forgive me. No, no, no. Somebody who you've hurt, somebody you've offended, you have to go and ask. And then the Rambam adds this magnificent line. It is forbidden for the person being asked for mechila to be an achzar, to be cruel and to be stubborn. As we all know, being on that side of the equation, like, you've hurt me. Well, you think now I'm going to grant you forgiveness? I will not. I will not. I don't want to speak to you. I don't want to hear. I don't want to forget. I don't want to forgive. Usser, says the Rambam. Forbidden for a Jew to refuse another Jew who has come. If they're doing it for real. If they're doing it with humility. And they're coming to ask forgiveness. Usser, says the Rambam, his words are so beautiful. Eliyehe Noach Lirtzos. You need to be easily appeased. Vikasha Lichos. And difficult to anger. That's the trait of a Jew. Get, it should be hard to make us become angry, but easy to appease. And in the moment when somebody who has sinned against us has sinned and they come to ask for forgiveness, Moichel Belev Sholem. You must do it with a complete heart and with a willingness of spirit. And I know what you're thinking. thinking. Okay, that's true for somebody who maybe one time took my parking spot in Gourmet Glot and now they've come to ask forgiveness. I'll grant it. I'll be willing to grant it. But that guy, that one hurt me over and over again. For sure, the Rambam's not referring to that kind of person. So the Rambam continues, because he knows that that's what you're thinking. The person who has now come has humbly changed their tune, but for months prior, years prior, has been harming you. Says the Rambam, We do not take vengeance. We do not hold a grudge. So a Jew comes and asks forgiveness, we forgive. V'zehu darkam shel Yisrael. That's the way of a Jew. A Jew who refuses to forgive, check their yichus. Check their, a Jew doesn't forgive, that's not the way of a Jew. That's not the way of Zerah Yisrael. V'libam hanachon, with their correct, upright spirit, that is what we do. It's an amazing, amazing Rambam. That it's a two-way street, this process of, of tshuva and Yom Kippur. It's the humbling of the offender to be able to acknowledge what has been done and to ask and seek forgiveness, not in a joking manner, for real. And then on the person who's been offended, and there's not a person alive that I know who has not been on that other end where somebody did something to us wrong, hurtful, whether sometimes it was a little inadvertent because they weren't paying attention and sometimes it was just mean. But that when that person comes to ask forgiveness, Darkom shall zera Yisrael, the way of Jews, children of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, the lev shalem with a full heart and a nefesh chafetza, a willing spirit to be able to forgive. There is no 
greater merit to walk into a Yom Kippur and stand before our Creator and say, Slach Lanu, forgive us, because I've messed up. There is no greater merit in the world to be able to stand there on Yom Kippur than to be able to say, look, I just did it. I was offended. I was hurt. I was pained. And the person came and asked me forgiveness and I granted it. The Lev Shalem. It wasn't easy, but I did it. That kind of Jew is going to stand on Yom Kippur and Hashem is not going to wipe their slate clean. There's no greater merit in the world to stand before the Rebona Shalom on Yom Kippur than to be able to fulfill such a Rambam. It's a gorgeous Rambam, the language. And Halavai, we shouldn't be in such a position, but it, all, it happens. Life happens. We're offended. I don't, again, I don't know a person alive who, who would say, I was never offended in life. It doesn't, it's not, it does, life doesn't work that way. But when it's, it's a big, it takes a big person to ask, and I think it takes a bigger person to forgive. But that's the way of the Jew. That's the way of the Jew. We should all be Zoha to both ask and to grant those who are in need to remember Zachorez Borecha, to remember our Creator, to be able to fulfill Tshuva, to regret the things that we've done and to move forward appropriately, becoming new people as we, uh, as we go through these magnificent days and wishing everybody a Gemar Chasim Atova, a wonderful year of uh, good health together uh, and, and continued uh, learning together. Have a great day, great Yom Kippur, everyone.